Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer Susan Slusser, and today we're delighted to be joined by A's radio broadcaster Ken Korak. We'll talk about the difficulties of calling baseball during a pandemic, especially when the team is on the road and the broadcasters are at home. Plus, we'll talk about Grand Slams, Jesus Lizardo, and much, much more. Coming up on A's Plus. Ken, let's start off with last night um, because, wow, two Grand Slams in the space of 11 games that wind up as walk-offs. Uh, obviously, we've, we have not seen that in A's history before. What's that like for a broadcaster? Well, it was unique, too, because when the ball left the bat, I, everybody knew that the game was going to be over because it was going to be a sack fly at the worst, Susan. So the Grand Slam was a bonus from that standpoint. And it was a cool night, as you know, and it was damp, and it was the marine layer was in, so I didn't know if the ball was going to go out. So, uh, But it really was a special moment. And the fact that they've, They've had two walk-off Grand Slams in the first 11 games. is a pretty historic accomplishment. Yeah, I, that, uh, for a broadcaster, I would have thought that that fly ball, because I thought it was like, just going to fall on the track. Uh, and Piscotti thought it was just going to fall on the track. Right. <laughs> and it just kept carrying. How tricky a call is that for a radio? It is, it's tricky. It's a little dark in the, uh, in the outfield when you get toward the wall at the Coliseum. And I just kind of edge it a little bit by saying, you know, the A's are going to win the game. How far will it go? <laughs> and then I could hear Fossey. Fossey was with us, and he jumped in there a little bit before me. And so from his reaction, I had a pretty good idea <laughs> that the ball was going to leave the ballpark. Yeah, you hit the, the Fossey gauge. You can always kind of go with well, Fossey's yeah. emotions on a given play. <laughs> well, he's done that a few times, shall we say, over the years. <laughs> <laughs> you have to love the passion. That is one thing, you know, as as uh, as totally an aside. But now that uh, with the coronavirus and the, the fact that the Hearst Corporation, which owns the Chronicle, uh, is discouraging us from air travel, so we're covering road games for now at least from home. I am listening to a lot more Ray than I, I usually do, and, and I am reminded what a delight it is. Uh, Ken, it was also Jesus Lazardo's first Major League start last night. I keep calling it a debut, which is what it feels like, but of course it wasn't his Major League debut. It was his debut as a starter. What did you think, five scoreless, um, you know, kind of what we've grown to expect from Jesus? Yeah, and especially because the expectations were so high going into the start. Now, we know that nobody, you know, fans can't go there. His, his family uh, couldn't come out and watch him start, but still through all that, he, he has a remarkable combination for me susan of great poise and incredible talent now we knew the talent was there and he's only 22 but he pitches like he's a lot older than that and then you have to factor in that his time in the minor leagues the number of starts and the innings that he's pitched in the minors has been very limited first because he had tommy john surgery when he was a senior in high school then last year with his he had the shoulder issue that kind of curtailed a lot of his activities in the minor leagues last year so he's really a special kid and i think he embraces those expectations and you've heard some of the things that have been said about him like chris bassett on one of the the zoom calls said that he has a chance to be one of the top three elite pitchers in the game so i think that would be a lot to put on a young pitcher but he doesn't seem phased by that at all yeah i i uh the poise is amazing and one of the things i liked he said after the game last night uh, as, as we are taping this on Wednesday 
was that, uh, you know, he made this terrific play on a little tapper behind the mound, kind of raced to grab it, fell as he was throwing, gets the runner first, ends the inning. And he said, you know what? I wanted to make up for the mistake I'd made the previous game, you know, and had a little bit of a defensive gap. So he's always working. And the fact that he's working on all areas uh, is really impressive at 22. But man, the poise just really stands out to me um yeah i thought he was a little hard on himself too because that was the ball that charlie blackman hit in the ninth inning last wednesday and the ball was sizzled back to the box and he knocked it down either with his glove or his body and i think he was a little disoriented for a second he did lob the ball to first base and i think he learned a little bit of a lesson from that <clears throat> yeah, it's it's interesting. And and you know what? He's been picking the brains of all the older starters. He's been palling around with Yusmero Petit, which I don't for a young pitcher, I'm not sure that there's a better role model than Petit with how steady and calm and reliable he is. So uh I, I just he is just gonna get better, which is kind of mind boggling when, when you think about it. Scott Emerson compared him to Johan Santana the other day, which I think is a pretty good comparison and the other thing, too, that was interesting was with the young battery with Sean Murphy behind the plate as a rookie, as you know, Susan, uh, they made the adjustment. They got away from his slider as the game went along because he didn't feel like he had a great slider last night. So, But he can pitch. He's one of those guys he can win and pitch great with fastball changeup because the, the, those pitches are such plus pitches for him. Yeah, Murphy too, very, uh, just an outstanding game from him behind the plate. A little bit slow to get going offensively, which I think the A's knew is going to be the case. But man, you know, he, he makes the throw to third uh, with the runner trying to go on a ball in the dirt. And a terrific throw uh, and eliminates, uh, you know, a runner in scoring position kind of early in an inning in the third. And that, Lizardo said, he, he said afterwards, Murphy saved me. You know, he said he's done it before, he'll do it again, but he but he made sure to thank him for that play. Ian Chapman made a great play to get over there because he plays deep and he got there and laid the tag down. It was and you know, Murphy really is he's six three and about two twenty five and he blocks a ton of balls in the dirt. He's really agile. He has a phenomenal arm, so he can he can contain the running game. So the so here's the Fosse comment of the day. Forget the hitting <laughs> for Murphy right now. Just handle the pitchers. That's your job. And so he's really been shining from that standpoint so far. Yeah, I was texting with a, a big league executive during the game, asking him about his thoughts on Lazardo, who's kind of going back and forth inning to inning. And when Murphy made made that throw, he said, that's the best throw of the game. You keep asking about Lazardo, but that's the best throw I've seen in this game. So uh, that's some good stuff. Uh, we've got to talk about, you know, some really good news for A's baseball, A's baseball fans. And for the broadcasters this past week, uh, the A's announced that they now have a radio station in the Bay Area. Initially, the plan going back to February was to be streaming only. And I know that's something that's that's taken people a while to adjust to. But during the pandemic and the quarantine and the shutdown, I think there was just a huge effort made to to make sure that fans who are listening from home stuck at home have a radio option people either who have older models of cars and can't listen to streaming in their car or maybe just don't have big data plans all ace fans are now taken care of uh, in the bay area whether they like streaming or whether they want traditional radio and then you you like i kind of old school and then you grew up working on radio stations listening to radio stations what's your reaction to to the ace well er- winding on the radio station yeah, everything you just said is true, Susan. 
and you explained it very well. And it's really important, especially now when people have been sheltering in place, haven't been able to get out, especially old people. And, and I've said this for years that I've always, the, the, the people I think of the most in doing the games are the shut-ins and yeah. people that really rely on baseball. And of course, everybody is in that category now because no one can go to the game. So to reach as many people as possible right now, I think is a great thing for us. And let's face it, there were people that for whatever reason, the, not having the knowledge or the wherewithal or the technology, and especially when you're driving in your car, and I've experienced too, there have been times when I wanted to listen to the post-view show, but I, I'd already gotten in my car and I started uh, to drive and I, I don't want to fumble around with my iPhone. I don't want people doing that yeah. to try to, you know, to get, um, and, and Chris Townsend does a great job with AceCast, and we should also mention that the iHeart platform, I think, really has broadened the base and the opportunity to reach even more people with the 24-hour nature of, of the coverage that uh, Chris and everybody is giving on AceCast, but uh, we're thrilled with the move to get back on AM radio. And that's the main thing for me right now. I mean, the biggest motivation for me in doing these games is to try to, if we can, provide a little, some joy to some people, a diversion, uh, a sense of normalcy for people who have looked forward to having uh, baseball every day. Yeah, that's that's great. I should have mentioned the the new iHeart partnership. I don't want to make this uh, sound like I'm shilling for iHeart, but man, the the reach is substantially more than TuneIn, uh, and there's uh, there are a number of iHeart radio stations in the Bay Area that now can cross promote some A's games and, and you know what you guys are doing on the radio, what what they're doing on streaming. Uh, it's terrific. I mean, I think it's, you know, four or five times as many listeners as tune in. So uh, that's just wonderful. I heart rate that that uh, that move is really just as a, a real credit to Matt Pearl uh, and his people there with a, all the A's sort of broadcast um, front office business people. Really, really excellent. Um, yeah, it's given the A's a great marketing opportunity. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about doing the games remotely. Yeah. And Matt and, and so many people have worked so hard behind the scenes a a tremendous amount of of time and hours have been put in over the last month several months uh, to try to pull a lot of this off yeah yeah really impressive as you know i got wind of it three or four weeks ago that there there were attempts being made to go back on radio and i thought wow you know that's going to be kind of tough to do and what they they pulled it off. That's uh, a lot of work. And uh, Dave Cavill told me like flexible, nimble thinking, very creative. Mm-hmm. I, I really I really like that. Uh, and what... the fact that Susan, the fact that TuneIn got out of the business of baseball, actually ironically, kind of turned out to be uh, beneficial for the A's as far as the the radio and also the streaming opportunities. Absolutely, yeah, that's really just good news. I like. There's nothing bad about this news. It's terrific all the way around. Uh, now, we, you mentioned doing the broadcasts. First of all, um, let's just talk in general what it's like for you at the Coliseum on your level. You guys are now, you, you've worked side by side with your fellow broadcasters your whole life. Now you guys are separated into your own booths. I've been up there once uh, when I was a guest with Vince uh, on, uh, before this first Sunday game. And I, there I was, like basically in my whole sec- own section up on the broadcast level, and you guys are in your own booth. So that must be very strange. So what was that like for you? Because you were actually sitting, because Fossey, as we said, he was with us last night. It was his first game on radio in this kind of truncated regular season. So you were actually sitting in the Fossey 
radio area down there. So what was that like for you? Did you feel like you were detached or did it feel kind of semi-normal for you? Well, I, f- I felt safe, which, you know, right now is kind of a, always the parent paramount. So uh, I always try to take that into account first. But, yeah, it was weird, uh, you know, and I was busy kind of waving at you and your booth. And then beyond that, Vince and his booth, it, it does feel very remote. Uh, Michael Baird, your phenomenal producer, wandered over to say hi from a safe distance. And it was wonderful to see him. But, yeah, it's it's really strange how how spaced out everybody is. And, you know, I think for you guys, even though you're an audio medium, of course, I think there's probably some visual things that you guys typically do during the course of the of a broadcast to communicate with each other. Little thing, little nuanced things. And I, I wonder if that kind of goes out the window and just along with a, a little bit more of a sense of camaraderie. I have to say this not to be contrary. To me, it has not been a transition at all. It has been seamless to me. I've heard from people who say they can't tell. That we're not in the same booth, so from a chemistry standpoint, I don't think we've missed anything. Uh, I feel very comfortable with it. Uh, Ray and I have spent 25 years together, Vince and I for 15, and so until last night for the first 10 games, it was just Vince and me, and we're not that far away now. Yeah, he's in the home radio booth with Mike, who sits up top, as you know, and Vince is down below, and I'm next door in the visiting tv booth so there's just a pane of glass that's clear that we can we can see through to make eye contact with each other i haven't honestly found it to be a hindrance at all and then fossey is to my left and so he's really you know we're separated again by the by the glass that uh, separates the booth from that auxiliary press area where ray sets up but i really haven't i haven't found it to be an issue now it may be a little more difficult for vince and ray like when vince is doing play-by-play because now Ray is two booths away. So I'm stationed in the middle, so I have Vince to my right and and Ray to my left. So um, I've really been okay with it so far. Yeah, it it, it seems weird, but I'm guessing even weirder are the road broadcasts. Tell us us how you guys are managing that and what you're doing. It has been weirder for sure. It's been a transition, and and that being said, I I don't think it's anything that, that we can't overcome. Uh, it's not that unusual now, Susan, for people to do uh, games remotely, uh, especially on television. That's proliferated quite a bit around the country. ESPN has done it here locally, the Pac-12 Network. A lot of their games are done from their studio uh, with the announcers watching the TV monitors, which is what we're doing. So, again, Vince is over in the radio booth, and I'm where I am normally in the in the uh, visiting TV booth, and we have a monitor that I put right in front of me, which is the program feed. It's pretty much what everybody would see at home watching the NBC California broadcast. And I have a larger TV screen to my left, which I can refer to, that uh, so far has been broken up into like four quadrants. And the main one that's important is what they call an all nine, which is the high home camera shot. It's pretty far away, but what it does, it gives you all the defenders. So especially with all the shifting in the game, that was a big concern of mine. Susan, going into going into this was to know where the players are playing. So if I can glance over there before the pitch, then you know they have three infielders on the right side and just the third baseman on the left, or if the center fielder is shaded toward right center. Uh, so that has been been really helpful. So uh, and I knew going in that we were going to miss some stuff. Uh, when you're doing a game live, you're at the ballpark, you are the eyes and the ears of the audience. Now you're still using your eyes, but 
the director and the producer, in this case, this past weekend up in Seattle, they become your eyes. So you have to follow along with what they're showing. And you kind of have to put your ego aside because and I think our, our fans um, will be very understanding and knowing that we're not trying to fool anybody. We're in the Coliseum and the is we're up in Seattle, 800 miles away. Wow. I mean, you, you've been doing these games for so long. I, it was it was strange for me. I kept thinking things throughout the week like, oh, well, it'll be so nice to see Dave Sims, the Mariners broadcaster. I, I like it. I can get over and say hi to Kendall Gray, and then I can like, oh, no, I'm not going to be there. You know, it's just the things right. that you kind of take yeah. for granted. I'm, I'm sure you're doing that, too. Just uh, such a strange, completely backwards way of, of uh, covering baseball these days. Especially Seattle, which is my favorite stop on the tour in the American League and so I just could kind of imagine myself rolling out of the hotel and walking down the street to the Starbucks or I got this favorite um, uh, Chinese restaurant I love going to that's not that far away I know you have your favorite places there the public market so for a couple of seconds when I was doing my homework for the games and watching some video I actually drifted back to thinking that I almost felt like I was there yeah. But you're not, and so we all have to we all have to adjust. And so um, our issues, honestly, are minor, Susan, compared to what everybody, most people are going through in the country. So we should be able to, you know, deal with all this stuff. We'll be back with more with Ken Korak in just a moment. But a reminder first, you can read much more about the Oakland A's at sfchronicle.com. And for subscriptions, go to sfchronicle.com slash pod. Just in general, from a safety standpoint, especially with all we, we've been hearing, you know, about some of the teams that have had multiple positive tests and e- even potentially uh, some transmission between teams, which had always kind of been like the, the biggest fear. What are your thoughts on baseball playing right now in the midst of a pandemic and, and potentially could we see this experiment come to a halt at some point? It's a very complex question, and there's so many layers to it. And I think everything, and even from my standpoint, and I'm sure you feel this way, and a lot of people do, that everything we do is still framed by the pandemic. I'm a little anxious to go into the market. I don't do that that often. So most of my trips to the market have been curbside pickups. So, uh, and I think from from my standpoint, I think that the A's in baseball are doing everything they can. They've done a good job to try to create as safe uh, an environment as possible for us. So, uh, But I think the, the biggest disappointment for me, and especially this hit really hard when the season began, was that whether it was a symbolic thing or metaphorically, that there was this sense that when baseball came back, it would signal a return to normalcy in the country. It would symbolize that this was the comeback of the country and, and baseball could serve in that role, but it hasn't happened. I mean, we're still in the midst of the pandemic. We have not done a good job in the country of dealing with it. And so who knows how long it's going to go on. So um, playing baseball in the midst of this with uh, the pandemic framing all that has been a very difficult thing. My, my hope is, is that because of the outbreaks with the Marlins and the Cardinals, that that's been a real wake-up call for everybody involved in the game. And I'm still hopeful that we can finish the season. I think baseball Susan, is, is going to do whatever they can possibly do to get this season finished. And that brings up questions regarding the integrity of the game uh, in the Marlins. As we're ta- they won a game last night. They hadn't played for almost 
a week and a half, and they had to put 13 players on the IL. I thought that was pretty remarkable. And then what do you do with the schedule uh, if teams are only playing 53 or 54 games and other teams get to finish the season? So there are a lot of questions and a lot of unknowns, and I think we all are kind of just taking the thing day by day. Yeah, it's uh, I kind of go back and forth. I, You know, the thing I do love is that uh, resuming the season meant that a lot of normal people, regular people who work in baseball, were brought back from furloughs. Um, people are working. You know, some scouts have been brought back. Um, you know, some of the amateur scouts have been brought back. That uh, certainly a lot of pro scouts who are still furloughed, which I, I would like to see reversed. But uh, that's the best part for me. I, you know, I, I do understand baseball can provide some comfort and entertainment during a dark time for people, and that's great. Um, but I'm also in favor of all these people who are have no families question. and mortgages getting getting some paychecks if it if this can all be done safely but i'm not entirely convinced that that's the case and i would really just hate yeah. to see anyone left very sick or incapacitated we don't know how that's going to go but it's a great point i'm glad you mentioned that because even people that work security the people that we see coming into the ballpark and maintenance and electricians and people that work on the grounds crew and there, there are so many people that are involved with baseball that go beyond and they're really important to the game. We tend to focus on the players and the coaches and the managers. So um, I, I'm really glad you mentioned that for sure. Yeah. Um, and I do think it, the wake up call, as you said, I, I think that has had an effect. We've, we've seen more and more players wearing bases, uh, masks on the bases. You know, Matt Olson's taken to wearing a, a mask when there's a runner at first. And the A's second walk-off celebration was a little bit different from the first one. They got a little bit of mild criticism after that first one in the opener um, by com completely ignoring social distancing and uh, kind of swarming yeah. Matt Olson. You know, it's a lifetime of baseball instincts. That's, that's what you do, and there's excitement, and you just you forget. But last night, you know, there I think, was... Don't you think, though, Susan, and not to interrupt, that yeah. when... When people on television see Matt Olson and other players wearing a mask while they're playing, that has to be a good thing. Yeah. Because I, we all, I think you and I agree, the importance of wearing a mask and social distancing and all the things that we need to do to try to get past that. So if baseball can serve a, have a, serve as a positive, as an example for other people, that's another kind of um, ancillary development that could be a good thing. A hundred percent. And and they're learning, you know, um, the walk-off celebration uh, after Piscotti's Grand Slam was uh, a, a little more restrained. There was a little more <laughs> right. space. Far a little more, more muted, yeah. Yeah, far <laughs> more guys in masks and a lot more elbow bumping. So it wasn't perfect. Uh, I'm not saying that, um, but it was significantly better from a, a distancing and mask wearing uh, standpoint. You know, there's going to be glitches with that. You know, guys are fighting a, a lot of lifetime things that they've done and ways they've done things. So, uh, you know, I think none of us wants to be kind of like the the bad cop and always pointing out, you know, that guy's spitting or that guy's wearing his mask wrong or anything like that. They're, they're trying. Um, that's the main thing. But I think the real there's a realization from good teams that they, ha if they follow all the safety protocols, there's a lot to play for, and they should. We, you, you just hope it's the teams that kind of don't have a lot to play for and don't have high expectations that don't wind up, you know, ruining things for, for everybody right. else. What do what you think a, of the What a tremendous, what a, what a huge task for the managers and someone like Bob Melvin. It was so incredibly detailed and diligent. Because you have to manage your club, but you also have to, and he's a great leader and very well respected, but you have to lead 
as far as all the off the field issues are concerned too and, and be so organized from that standpoint because everything takes longer right susan i mean yeah. the travel everything is more difficult but you have to embrace the difficulty if you don't embrace that this isn't going to happen and the is i think are really fortunate to have uh bob melvin kind of leading uh so many things on the field and off right now yeah absolutely um the A's and contending, we, we've talked many, many times about what a good team this is. Um, very well put together, good balanced lineup, terrific defense, excellent rotation, and wow, the, I think the bullpen has been better than I, you know, I expect. You, it's it's so hard to project bullpens from from year to year. Last year we thought the bullpen would be a strength, and it wobbled. I think a little bit more than than we'd figured until Liam Hendricks came in and settled things down, but. Uh, the the bullpen so far has really been the most impressive unit. What are your thoughts just in general on what we're seeing on the field? Well, I think they've played really well so far, and they've weathered a storm because they haven't hit much at all. And even last night, they were not real robust. They had scored just one run going to the ninth inning, and then Piscotty turned all that around. So uh, their pitching has been incredible. And now you're getting to see a little bit more normalcy, and I think the offense is starting to pick up around baseball. His defense has been picked up, and that has to be a strength of theirs because it was last year. Uh, you're getting starting pitchers deeper into ball games over this four-game winning streak. Their starters have been great, so they're starting to put it all together here. Uh, so it's, it's really been fun to watch. And I would ask you this, too. I don't know if we have a difference of opinion because a lot of people have opinions on this. That I think the team that wins the World Series should be celebrated as the World Series champions. I don't want anyone to... I don't. I wouldn't even want an asterisk in the record book because I think history will frame. Everybody's going to know this was the pandemic year, but if you can get through all this and all the tiers of playoffs and you win it all, I think you deserve to be to be celebrated as the World Series champs. I don't know how you feel about it. You might have a different opinion. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the asterisk isn't really. A, I don't even know where that comes. There's so few instances of it's not a thing really uh and i can't imagine it would be people ask me a lot are is is the bbwaa still going to award postseason awards well yeah of course you know what why wouldn't we somebody will be the top player somebody will be the top rookie you know even if it's a condensed season uh even if it's a strange playoff structure this is a season and you're right there are a lot of things that everybody's going to have to go through that no but no team's ever dealt with before it's this is hard uh so it's not a you know it's not a normal season it's probably not a representative season from what we think of for you know 162 games and all of that but uh yeah it's whoever wins this will still have achieved something and people will remember wait you don't need an asterisk people will go like 2020 wow it looks like they didn't play very many games that year why was that everybody will know it it's going to be you know a long long time before people forget what happened in 2020 mm -hmm. do you think the A's can win the world series i do yeah, I think they're set up well for it with a with the rotation and and with the bullpen. If the bullpen keeps performing uh, as they do, uh, I, I think they're they're in very good shape. I'd like you know I'd like to see a little bit more consistent offense, but for for an A's team, you know, chronologically early in a season, uh, they're they're doing pretty well. Yeah, they are. They really are. They have a series coming up against the Astros, which is an important series. From the context of the season because it's so short i think they have to get sean Manaya going and obviously they have to get some of their bats going but this is their time this i'm sure you agree this is their window this year and the next couple of years 
would be the best opportunity to win a World Series, I think, since 2001. Even though they went to the playoffs four straight years beginning in 2000, the, the, the 2001 team, to me, had the best chance of all those teams to win a World Series. Yeah, that 2001 team was amazing. I mean, they've, they've had a lot of really good teams, but this one is, I think, potentially the best well-rounded um, team uh, and, and might have the best defense. Out of, out of all of those those clubs so uh, there's a lot to like the window i don't you know i'm not sure how long the window is if you're looking at marcus Simeon leaving after the season as a free agent who knows what this free agent market looks like by the way right in this off season uh if there's a time to take a qualifying offer i'm not 100 percent sure given uh the financial hits every team is taken that uh, the A's would offer a qualifying offer, but uh, if they did, you'd have to think he would consider it. So maybe that extends it another year, and you've got some young, very good young shortstops coming uh, along uh, in the A's minor league system. They're all in San Jose right now at the alternate site working with Bobby Crosby. Uh, But if you're talking about Nick Allen as the A shortstop next year, uh, I I don't know if that that is as strong a club because Marcus is kind of the heart and soul of the the team, I would say, at this point. So maybe another year if you give him a qualifying offer. Nick Allen has never played above A ball, right? Exactly. So that would be a big jump. The other thing about Marcus, I think it's important to mention, and we mentioned this on the broadcast the other day, I have no idea if it's contributed to his slow start. But he has a lot on his plate. The, the players who are player reps are not just focusing on baseball every day. You know, they're, they're guys that can get up and just kind of get their mind geared into the, the game that night. But there, there's a lot going on with the Players Association and the talks that I think are probably still even ongoing with baseball and with management. So, And I think he's done a a really good job of balancing that and i think the a's are pretty lucky to have him as their player rep and i would think you would agree with that he's been very conscientious and very diligent in in understanding that that the the responsibilities that he has in that role yeah yeah he's so steady he's local he's i've never seen a player work harder uh in in any sport and i've covered a lot of them uh i, I just he's just an absolutely top-notch representative of the Oakland organization in every way. Uh, I would love to see them extend him. I think everybody would. But uh, mm-hmm. we're kind of branching out of the whole completely different territories but you know people say like of the three Chapman, Olsen, Simeon, who do you extend? Who do you want to keep? For me, if you can only choose one of the three, I'm going Matt Olson all the way. I t- was talking to a national baseball writer uh, who lives in New York couple of weeks ago before right before the season started and he said hey who among the uh who between Simeon and Chapman do you think I should pick as MVP if I pick one of the A's and I said Matt Olson uh, he did, he always kind of gets left out these things I think for me but well, he's, he, he's, he's a great guy. great young player he hasn't been hitting much but he's taking his walks which I think is a positive sign because it, it shows that he's seeing the ball well and tracking the ball and he's not over anxious up there but see these are the same conversations that we had 20 years ago, right? Yeah. Who are you going to keep? Giambi, Tejada, or Chavez, or the big three? So it's a it's a difficult dilemma, uh, but it's kind of a good problem to have because it, it shows that you have a lot of talented young players on your club. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, definitely a good problem to have until one, two, or all three leave. Exactly. That's <laughs> then, right. Then, it'll be, then that, that'll be a little tough. But yeah, no fun, fun conversations to have right now, I guess. 
You mentioned the Astro series um, coming up this weekend. It's still big. The road through the AL West still goes through Houston, no matter what. I know they're they're having some down times, and of course, the scandal lo- still looms over everything, even in the midst of a pandemic. Are they maybe getting off a little light this year with no fans in the stands? They are not being greeted by throngs of booze and creative, derogatory, you know, signs and things like that. Is this? Has their punishment been enough? Well, what's your, your your general look at the at the Astros? And throngs of media too, because <laughs> we're not allowed in the clubhouse. Everything is done virtually. So, yes, I think they are getting off light. I think that their second series of the year, if there had been a regular year, would have been at the Coliseum, which I think would have begun on a Monday night, a weekday series. So, I, I do think that's the case. I have no idea what's going to happen over this weekend uh i think the game should be great there's really the astros are really struggling to find healthy starting pitching especially among their veterans but i I think to answer your question dusty baker i think is the right guy to lead their club and i was thrilled that they picked up his option already for next year so they made a great choice with uh dusty so but i don't know how this is going to go this weekend i kind of i think that like, will the A's throw at somebody? Will that happen? I don't know. I can't I can't predict the future on that. Bob Mel was not the kind of manager who really is a big proponent of that. Not that it hasn't happened in the past. So we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Yeah, I'd be a little surprised that, you know, talking to all the, all the A's the last few days about this upcoming uh, series, because as you know, we get a very small handful of players available for interviews via video call, so you kind of have to plan things out early. Uh, so we've been asking way ahead of time about this Astros series, and they've all basically said, you know what, we just have to worry about our own business right now. We kind of got bigger things on our minds. So uh, I think, you know, even Shamanaya, who had, was very, very critical of the the Astros, understandably during the spring, said like, yeah, you know what, I I don't love it. They're kind of they are kind of getting off lightly here, uh, but we just gotta win this series and and not really worry about too much other stuff. So still fun, still awful lot to talk about because wow. Uh, uh, bad blood with the Astros and pretty much everyone else in baseball at this point. Mike Fires isn't pitching in the series. Um, he told me during the spring, look, I want to make every start possible. I don't care who I'm facing. So I'm not sure that was, especially with no fans in the crowds, uh, how much of a difference that was going to make. The Astros already didn't like Fires, so nothing has changed there. They they knew he had been telling all his subsequent teams that they were cheating. So, um but but uh, interesting, a, a little extra yeah. edge, I think, with the Astros now. No doubt there'll be a lot of focus on it, but this is, again, uh, kind of diverting off the path. But when you cover a game, when you're down in the stands, what's that like for you? Do you feel like you're in the game? How much do you miss the fans? What's that experience been like for you? Uh, yeah, it's surreal. It really is. Uh, you know, it's just a handful of reporters. Usually there would be far more reporters there. Um, the visiting teams typically are, except for the very opening series, um, don't have reporters with them. Uh, I do think the Houston Chronicle will be in town for, for the Astros series, so that'll be nice to see at least one visiting reporter. But yeah, it's it's very uh, it, <laughs> kind of lonely. But the A's were very thoughtful about their setup. You know, they have us outside, which is safer. We each have our own individual t- table with power and wi-fi and uh, all of that good stuff we're more than six feet away from each other so I, I think we all feel safe and again that's the main thing but yeah it is really you know we're staring at a ba- bunch of backs of cardboard cutouts and then the you know the overflow players sitting in the stands which that's weird until the crowd noise starts it can hear everything which uh is kind of funny and uh, it's uh 
yeah, I'll be glad when this is all over, but in 10 years, it'll be interesting for us all to look back and say like, wow, remember that? That was crazy. It's weird doing the games because Mike Baird, we, I, I should give kudos to him, and I've tried to do it in every interview that I've done because this has been a major technical challenge from an audio standpoint for Mike, and especially getting the audio to come down from Seattle for the games last weekend. But it's the strangest thing for me, Susan, to look out at an empty stadium and hear crowd noise in my headset. So, because, and the A's are really trying to do as good a job as they can to create kind of a normal atmosphere with the crowd noise. And you hear the drummers and you hear Tom Hanks on occasion, you know, with the concessions and stuff. So uh, that's been really, and I've been asked a lot of questions about that. I think listening to games on the radio to me sounds pretty much like, like normal because the crowd noise, even though it's fake, is recorded real crowd noise and i would hate to have had to do the games in total silence like you were calling a like a a golf match so i feel like it's helped for me give me a little more energy and to allow my voice to project more because i can hear i can hear the crowd noise in my headset yeah well uh ken you you were one of the first guests once uh baseball started its hiatus Uh, we really appreciate you joining us now to kind of explain the ins and outs of what you're dealing with and hopefully we'll check back again uh, during this stretch run and get your thoughts then uh, ken Korak, thanks as always for joining us on ace plus that's it's been fun susan and thanks for you've done an incredible job with all your coverage too oh, like, thanks. like oh, you let's always plug, do let's so. plug our book um we should have done <laughs> we, that hey for, we wrote a book <laughs> we wrote a book <laughs> you know it came out last year but there's i'm sure there's plenty of you that haven't read it if you're looking for something to do if you're stuck at home if these walls could talk oakland a's stories from the oakland a's dugout locker room and press box me and ken korak uh we had a blast writing it absolutely loved it but it's more about uh a lot of people who work about around in and around the a's not just us uh and uh some really amazing stories from from you, Ken, which I love. And we have we have boxes of books sitting at the Coliseum. We do. And we have to figure out what we're going to do with them, yeah. right? Contact so. us if you would like us to send you an autographed copy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it's list price, sure, but you we would be, both be happy to autograph it for you. We'll figure out some sort of safe way for us to do that, uh, exchanging books, and yeah. we can send them out yeah, to you. We'll so contact us. We're both on Twitter. I'm at Susan Slusser. What's your? Are you just at Ken Korak? I am at Ken Korak Radio. Oh, so there you go. That's that's how to reach us. Ken, thanks again for joining us, and we will catch up again soon. Thanks, Susan. A big thanks again to Ken Korak for joining us on A's Plus. Our producers today were G. Allen Johnson and King Kaufman. We'll be back again later in the week with more A's Plus. Thanks for listening. <laughs>